After several months of pondering, I chose to use St. Alphonsus as the basis of my four talks. It's, quite, it's much easier when you're preparing four talks than when you're preparing six, eight, or ten. And Father Jenkins this year had the six talks to prepare. Um, I want to talk to you about St. Alphonsus because of his sufferings. And it is amazing what he suffered. There are some who feel that St. Alphonsus suffered more than most saints in heaven. I teach the children every other year about St. Alphonsus in the classroom. And if my memory serves me correctly, he wrote over 69 books. Besides founding a congregation, besides having Episcopal duties. It was in his 80th year, in 1776, that uh, he completed one of those 60 books. By his 80th year, he had been relieved of the burden of the episcopacy, which he never wanted. When somebody wants the episcopacy, there's something wrong. He was relieved of this burden by Pope Pius VI, and this burden weighed heavily upon him. But Pope Pius VI did not relieve him of the duties of the congregation. He composed a book on the sufferings of the martyrs. <clears throat> the Kingdom of Naples and the Church were going to draw tremendous benefit from his books. They were well suited for his books, but it is said that the Catholics in every age can, be, can benefit greatly from his writings and be strengthened in the faith and enkindled in piety. And the study of St. Alphonsus is no less useful today than it was 100 or 200 years ago. <clears throat> Your constancy will always be tried in different ways in different times. Piety will always be persecuted by the enemies of our Lord. All that live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. Okay? The road leading to heaven is sown with tribulation. Though many tribulations, through many tribulations, we all must enter. That's the only way we can enter into the gates of heaven. Such was the way of our divine Savior. And reason tells us, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and so to enter into his glory, ought not we to suffer these things? Christ himself informs us that his disciples and his servants should not be treated, would be treated as he was treated. He says the disciple is not above the master, nor is the servant above our Lord. Christ assures us that the trial will never be above our strength. You men, some of you are seasoned men. Some of you are well-aged. Some of you are young. Scripture says to the young, respect the gray hairs, for therein is contained much wisdom. God is faithful, and he is ready to aid anyone who calls upon him. He will not suffer you to be tempted above your measure, above that which you are able. And he will also make 
issue with temptation, that you may be able to bear it. So if our Lord's going to have us suffer as he does, he also wants us to have confidence in the midst of these sufferings and trials. Some of them we bring upon ourselves by our own poor action. Most of them we bring upon ourselves. Everybody wants to blame the devil. A lot of times the devil doesn't have to do a thing. We do it for ourselves. We do it to ourselves. In the world you shall have distress, but have confidence. I have overcome the world. He even wishes that at such times when you are distressed, that you be full of joy. Remembering, considering the eternal reward that God has for you admits those distresses and pains of a moment. He says, be glad and rejoice for your reward is very great in heaven. When we think of the love that our Savior has shown us and all that he has done and suffered for us, our hearts should be inflamed. Many of you are married. You suffered an inflamed heart when you first met your wife. When you began courting her, when you asked her to marry you, you were smitten by her. Our hearts should be inflamed with gratitude and love towards him. We then desire to labor and to suffer yet more for his glory. We desire to sacrifice for God's love. And as we do, as we progress in the spiritual life, that's the reason you're here today, we will find no other happiness than the happiness we find in suffering for our Lord. St. Francis de Sales said, I desire to know Christ crucified. We call those who have suffered for our faith, especially those who have died martyrs, the athletes of the faith. The works of St. Alphonsus are suitable for you, no matter what your state, no matter what your age. We must model ourselves after our Lord and Our Lady, the King and Queen of Martyrs. And so in their sufferings, we must imitate and we'll find consolation. If, let me take you back to the time when St. John was exiled to the Alana Patmos in his latter days, when he had a vision of heaven and hell, the Antichrist. He beheld all the saints. They were clothed in white and they all had palms in their hands. The palm is a symbol of martyrdom. So we ask the question, why then did all the saints, why did the virgins, why did the confessors, why did the holy men and women have a palm in their hand? They did not suffer martyrdom. And St. Gregory answers that question. All the saints were martyred, either by the sword, meaning earthly death, or by patience. And that's what many of us will be called to be martyrs of patience. And St. Gregory goes on to say, we can be martyrs without the sword if we keep patience. We can even tame many times the merits 
of the martyrs and increase the value of our crown by a goodwill. That's what you're called to, men. Probably few of you will actually shed your blood for the faith. I hope to, because that's the easiest way to get to heaven, I think, and I'm such a coward. St. Alphonsus was not satisfied in telling us how to imitate the heroes of the faith. He shows us by his most wonderful life. He was a prodigy of patience. He was a prodigy of long-suffering. There are few saints who suffered as much as St. Alphonsus suffered. And I'm going to go through those sufferings, which we can apply to ourselves. There were physical sufferings, there were mental sufferings, there were spiritual sufferings, and he endured them all with great grace. St. Alphonsus, like St. Therese, claims never to have committed a grievous sin from his youth. Yet he was impelled by his ardent love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Impelled by that love, he gave to himself most cruel penances. And God permitted him to exercise these penances until he was 99 years of age. Now, of course, St. Alphonsus never had to sleep on the beds out at the retreat center. That would be much beyond what he could endure. They're not comfortable. We're, we're building a new building. We were hoping it would be up for you, uh, ready for you before today, yesterday, but it's not. We're hoping that it's going to be ready in two weeks. He regarded himself as a victim that was to be entirely immolated to divine love. He, he attempted to give of himself without the least reserve and convinced that this love was manifested by labor and by suffering. As he himself teaches us, Alphonsus thought only of laboring and suffering as much as possible for God. Now we'll go into that. I will give examples of that. We read in scripture how obedience is better than sacrifice. He bound himself to a vow to follow all things of his spiritual director, the advice of his spiritual director, of his conscience, in which he recognized God's holy will. I know it can sound self-serving, but I'll say it anyway because it needs to be said and it's true. Uh, your confessor is the will of God. What he tells you, you must follow to the letter and do, unless... He is ignorant, and he tells you something obviously sinful. By renouncing all worldly hopes, he condemned himself to a life of extreme poverty. His garments were poor. His furniture was poor. Everything he used, even when he was a bishop, bore the impress of the virtue of poverty. He reduced himself only to what was strictly necessary. Now, of course, I don't think we can compare ourselves to Alphonsus, but we should strive to have the same spirit. At night, he took his short repose on a simple straw mattress, not a comfortable mattress like you have. Sometimes he slept on a plank. When traveling, he would go on foot. Or if 
By necessity, he would ride a donkey. He took but little nourishment, and he was also always careful to mix in his food bitter herbs so as to render his food very distasteful, very disagreeable. You and I search out the nicest restaurants we can. Search out our priests are notorious for searching out those Italian women who know how to cook for their rectories. And this he often ate on his knees or sitting on the floor. Besides the ordinary fast and abstinence, he fasted on bread and water on all Saturdays and vigils of principal feast. When he studied or wrote, he would do so with a stone in his shoe in order to suffer, in order to cause him discomfort. He even scourged himself every day and frequently to the point of bleeding. He used, besides little chains, hair cloth and other instruments for the purpose of continually tormenting his flesh. And yet we seek to pamper ours as much as we can. One evening he was worn out with fatigue and he fell down in his room passing out and he remained there the whole night on the floor, unconscious. He remained most of the next day on the floor unconscious. He was found. The doctor was called. The doctor wanted to understand the reason for his passing out, ordered that he be disrobed. When they took his clothes off of him, they found another set of clothes underneath my total hair shirt from neck to toe. From this, dear men, we may form an idea of his austerities which he strove so much to conceal before the eyes of men, as did all the saints. To these self-inflicted penalties, we now add his great labors, 69 books. And there are hundreds of pages. They're not a little pamphlet. There's 69 books of three or 400 pages. In the midst of pain, in the midst of solicitude, in the midst of continual trials, St. Alphonsus, like St. Therese, wanted to devote himself to the Chinese missions. He was anxious to do this, but he was ever willing to do God's holy will in this matter. The Lord deigned to call him to another apostolate. He wanted Alphonsus to found an institution called the Redemptorist. Obedience was the voice of heaven. He generously undertook the founding of the Redemptorist. And when after he had found the Redemptorist, he saw himself abandoned by those whom he thought he had to help him found this congregation. This was very discouraging to him. And so realizing that discouragement, willful discouragement is a sin, and he did not want to sin, he made a vow that he would found this congregation, even if he was the only one there to do it. He would do it by himself, under pain of grave sin. He would persevere in his work. You, dear men, 
have many different facets of jobs, difficult task at hand, you must persevere until the end. Even if you have to remain alone, even if you have to be a traditionalist alone in your family, you need to persevere to the end. He did so with this vow and the sacrifice for the salvation of souls. He wished and he did consecrate himself unreservedly during his whole life to the service of God. And he made another vow, which I as a third grader heard from a little woman, my teacher. She seemed like a giant. I was probably every bit of three feet tall. She seemed like a giant. She was probably every bit of five and a half feet tall. She would always say to her class every day, a moment lost can never be regained. She was saying what St. Alphonsus was saying. He made a vow never to allow a moment to pass without employing it in some good work, some useful work. Now you go home after work, maybe you lay on the couch, smelling your wife's good cooking, waiting for dinner. Maybe you read the newspaper, maybe you get on the computer and find out the news of the day or watch the news on television, whatever you do. Maybe you play with the kids. I know my dad had a ritual when he came home of course, he was much older when I was born. He's about near near 50 when I was born. He would always make sure in the winter to have his slippers on the radiator so that he could put them on when he came in in the wintertime. Get his pipe out, get out the newspaper, and read until dinner is there. You may have some winding down that you do. That's good and fine. That's good and fine. But St. Alphonsus would not allow himself that luxury. Heaven blessed St. Alphonsus for these magnanimous acts. The devil, although always conquered by St. Alphonsus, never ceased to excite contradiction against St. Alphonsus. Unjust prejudices, perfidious accusations, lawsuits, threats, and even attacks, physical attacks. His enemies went so far as to bribe a man to sully his reputation and that of his congregation. 1700s, you had the freethinkers of Europe. You had Catholic schools. This is St. John Bosco was in the mid 1800s. He died 1888. But you had a sentiment against the Catholic faith here that St. Alphonsus was having a fight. And so just like today, just like today, a lay person does something, well, during Pride Month, it can be considered heroic. A priest does something, they jump on the Catholic Church. See how wicked the church is? We have the same attitude today. A man of influence who was leading a scandalous life took with him one day a, several men. They were assassins. And they made their way to St. Alphonsus's rectory. They were arrested on the way, but their intention was to assassinate St. Alphonsus. When he heard of the danger that had threatened him, he quietly said, they may take my life if they please. In this way, I shall obtain the crown of martyrdom. He wasn't afraid. He was going to continue what he was doing, no matter what the cause against him. It was a remarkable thing that his own friends, which usually are the cause of his most great affliction, less than his enemies, 
As soon as they heard of his intention to form the congregation of the Redemptorist, they all abandoned him. Those who but recently admitted his talents, bragged and boasted about him, made known to others his virtues, changed in their conduct. They looked upon St. Alphonsus as an extravagant and fanatical man. A visionary, they, they thought he was full of self-conceit. They certainly were not good judge of pride and humility. They heaped ridicule and reproach upon St. Alphonsus, both in public and in private. Everywhere, people pounced on him to, to denounce him. They vied with one another to denounce him. Men in authority who were secretly his or pretending to be his guides and his support, they didn't even let their testimonies, their previous testimonies of virtue, be used in his own defense to defend himself. His associates in the congregation, they wanted to exclude him from his society. St. Francis, if I'm correct, was kicked out of the Franciscans more than once. St. Francis. And it is said that St. Francis occupies Lucifer's place in heaven. That's how high and how holy that St. Francis was. He took the place of the light bearer in heaven. Anyhow, they wanted to deprive him of his benefices, his support. And they, who had declared themselves against Alphonsus, triumphed, especially when they dug up the fact that he had already attempted to found a congregation, and he failed. So now he finds himself abandoned by his companions, those whom he counted on, for such a huge undertaking. And when you are counting on someone, let me say it differently, when you're not counting on someone and you jump into something, you know what to expect. When you're counting on others to help you carry the burden and they abandon you, then the work becomes overwhelming. They considered Alphonsus irretrievably lost. We've heard that word before, haven't we? Irretrievables. Irretrievably lost. No one dared to take up his defense. It wasn't popular. And he was even referred to from the pulpit as an embarrassing oddity. Those are my words to try to explain what was being said of St. Alphonsus. The confusion and the anguish of our saint reached its highest point when he had to take leave of his father. His father was a tender, dear man who loved his son very much. St. Alphonsus had to physically tear himself away from his father in order to follow his father's business, if I may use that term, taking it from Christ, the will of God and what he was doing. Our Lord reserved for him, for his virtue, many other assaults. And these came from his, the own, his children of the congregation. They came from what they called the, his common father, the, the Pope, whom he loved and he venerated, and to whom, the Pope, he was always obedient, perfectly obedient. St. Alphonsus was successful for many years in avoiding the episcopacy. The thought of it made him tremble. 
He thought himself free. He thought, I am too old. I don't have to worry about it anymore. He thought himself free when at the age of 66, under the burden of grave infirmities, Pope Clement commanded him to receive the episcopacy, Pope Clement XIII. This was for the poor old men, like a thunderbolt that had struck him. And his health rapidly deteriorated. He claims it was only through the efforts of the Blessed Virgin Mary that he was able to overcome this malady. It was then believed that he would finish his days in peace. After 13 years of episcopacy, the Pope relieved him of the duty, and he thought he would finish his days in peace with his children of the congregation. But God had other plans for St. Alphonsus. His cup of bitterness had not yet been filled. God wished him to suffer more and to empty himself even more. I remember when Sister Maria Dolorosa was dying, I was told I wasn't there. I was told as her family visited her, she said that God was not done with her suffering yet. He wanted more. The enemies of his congregation ceased to plot his ruin by all things imaginable. The congregation was continually hovering between life and death for survival. Perhaps that means by financial survival. Perhaps that means infighting amongst the members. I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that. But his enemies were unsuccessful in their criminal designs. When the violent storm appeared to pass and peace was restored, the devil did not wait long before stirring up more controversy in the institution itself. A war broke out that shook it to its foundation. And this was caused by some of Alphonsus's subjects who abused his confidence and turned against him. St. Alphonsus, the, the difficulty in the congregation was then made known to Rome. People went there to report, and they shamefully calumniated St. Alphonsus and did so in such a way that he was unable to defend himself. He was accused of having infringed his rule and consequently infringed the authority of the Holy Father who approved it. He was judged guilty and he was treated as the author of a culpable act of which he was the principal victim. Pope Pius V, sixth, sixth, given false reports and convinced of the charges against St. Alphonsus, believed it to be his duty to condemn St. Alphonsus, to be condemned in name by the Holy Father. There's no greater thorn that could enter into the heart of a saint. He deposed him from his office as superior general. He even excluded him from the congregation, the Redemptorists. Our saint was 84 years of age, suffering, powerless, he received the news without being able to answer the accusations. His heart was more overfilled with great sorrow in being obliged to see his children involved in his own disgrace and the great injury to souls that would result 
from the Redemptorists not working together for the salvation of souls. There was no one left to console St. Alphonsus. He didn't look for it. He humbly bent his head and he said, it is only God whom I desire. It is sufficient for me that his grace not be lacking, not be wanting to me. The Pope wishes it so. May God be praised. The will of the Pope is the will of God. What beautiful words. True even today. Not that I'm saying Francis is or isn't the Pope. I'm not entering into that. But we as Catholics must observe the will of all the Popes throughout the decades. Not just the latest ones. But they, there has to be a... a Convergence of the popes, the teachings, or discipline. Alphonsus, for several years, suffered this fatal blow. The hardest that could have been inflicted upon him. And it was only after his death that the Holy Father learned the entire truth and became fully convinced that Alphonsus was innocent. How many times have you been wrongly accused? or maybe rightly accused of some hidden fault. God permits these things in order that his, his servants, St. Alphonsus in this case, you in many other cases, exercise virtue and gain greater merit yet. <coughs> this was not all. St. Alphonsus had to suffer a long and painful martyrdom, both in his body and in his soul. After, being the, after the beginning of his apostolic career, he was affected by two mortal illnesses in consequence of his excessive labors. And as I mentioned to you before, his cure was only had at the help of the Blessed Virgin Mary. When he was 52 years of age, he was taken with a violent asthma attack. One of the greatest joys of my life was burying a seven-year-old girl. Sweet little girl, holy little girl. She had an asthma attack. She died. It was such a wonderful privilege that I had to bury her. St. Alphonsus nearly died. He was anointed after this asthma attack. But, uh, but uh, he did overcome it, but the asthma attack affected his lungs and he suffered thereafter in his breathing. The violence that St. Alphonsus had to do to himself to accept the episcopacy once again reduced him to great danger. He rallied from that, but two years later when he made his first visitation to his diocese that he was now in charge of, it once again caused him great sickness. Each time his life was thought to be near the end, the last sacraments were administered to him, and even preparations were made for his funeral. But God was not finished with him yet. In his 72nd year, in 16, I'm sorry, 1768, he was attacked by an extreme case of rheumatism which at first was thought to be sciatica. It gradually encroached upon all his joints in his body and ended by affecting the vertebrae of his neck. 
His head was bent over so much that if you looked at him from the back, he would look headless. His head actually pushed his chin into his chest. And so far, the, the, so far did it push it that the pressure of his chin produced a wound on his chest. Nobody knew this, the pain he was suffering, until the wounds exuded infection. As the sick man suffered without complaint, the wounds were only perceived when the wounds would erupt and attract the attention of the doctors. And you think you suffer. I think I suffer. All his bodily members were affected such that when viewed from behind, he appeared to be without a head. The holy bishop had to remain painfully seated in his armchair during the entire night. He couldn't lie down. He suffered pain. The last 19 years of his life, he was not even able to raise his head up. Nothing was more wonderful than his patience, dear men. You may not be called to suffer rheumatism. You may not be called to found an order. You may not be called for this or that. You may not be abandoned by all your friends. But there are ways that you can suffer in the patience and resignations that St. Alphonsus suffered. He was constant in his zeal to perform his exercises of piety. Mass and the bravery. He was constant when it came to mortifying himself. Let me apply that to you. You must be constant in your exercises of piety. Some of you cannot get to daily Mass. Some of you do. Some of you I know in other missions visit the chapel every day. You can say your rosary every day. You can say your morning or night prayers every day. You can pray with your children every day. He was constant mortifying himself to apply himself to the duties of his charge, even in his sufferings. These are the exterior difficulties. Now we add the interior trials. In his 30s, he led a life of aridity. You may have the same. Every saint has had a period of aridity, dryness, desolation. At the altar, I felt better after reading this. At the altar, he found himself without devotion. Prayer had even become irksome to him. He is quoted as having said, I go to Jesus Christ and he repels me. I have recourse to Mary and she is deaf to my voice. A most sensible privation for the soul that once had tasted heavenly delight. See, God withdraws his grace and his rewards from us to see if we're going to persevere. Many of you have done that. I once had a, a family, a young family, had little kids. It was Christmas Day. The parents had got some gifts for the kids, had purchased some gifts for the kids. The kids didn't know that. The kids went in there and the, the, there was nothing under the tree. And the parents said, yes, we decided to take that money and give it to the poor. And the kids were okay with that. And then after they registered the resignment resignation 
to this as God's holy will. Then they opened up another room and there were gifts for the kids in there. But the kids were fine with that. He was now plunged into darkness and misery and fears to have, he feared that he made himself unworthy of the presence of the divine. But it was above all during the last period of his life that our saint had to undergo the most frightful combats. It seemed as though the devil had been given power to afflict him as God gave power to the devil to afflict Job. And after having struck him in his body and in his religious family, having made him fall into disgrace with the holy pontiff, the devil represented to him that these were punishments for his sin, that God had abandoned him. The poor old man, he was heard to cry out to the saints and the Blessed Virgin Mary, a most pitiful plea, he said, help me. The devil wishes to make me despair. Help me. I do not wish to offend God. The enemy was repulsed again and again and again, and he returned again and again and again. And it will be the same with you and me. It's the same with us. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We read that it, we pray that every night in the seminary, in the monasteries and priests when they pray their bravery at night in Compline. The devil attacked him in so many different ways, casting his soul into darkness, scruples, fears, perplexities, other horrible temptations, perhaps against purity, which are everywhere about us these days. He even appeared to him under the form of other persons and flattered him to fill him with vanity on one hand. And when that wouldn't work, he would then uh, treat him as though he were a reprobate. You're telling me he was a reprobate, abandoned by God. <clears throat> what was the key to the Alphonse's victories here? What is your key? To never omit invoking the name of our Lord and our Lady and assistance will be given to you. I think you can see here why some believe St. Alphonsus was such a powerful saint and even merited more than the martyrs. It would have been easier for Alphonsus had that man succeeded in shooting him or killing him however he's going to kill him. It would have been easier for him to die with a sword put through his heart it would have been easier for him to have his body roasted over the flame. He proved his fidelity the same way you will, by prolonged suffering. We should therefore be convinced that St. Alphonsus bears a brilliant palm in the assembly of the celestial conquerors. St. Alphonsus sets for us an example of conduct. Which of us can boast of so many victories over so many trials? Who better can help us to make a worthy retreat? Pray that he assist you, dear men, in his lofty ascent into heaven.
He is the steel purified in the forge. Follow him, at least from afar. Pray to him for great humility. Pray to him for great faith. Pray to him for great patience and courage to endure all your sufferings to the end, that you and I may join the spiritual giant and draw closer to our Lord. That is the conclusion of my first conference. The schedule has you... Um, this is Thursday. Uh, go into chapel, please, to take your notes, perhaps, to read them, to make some resolutions. And then we'll meet in the uh, pavilion, the conference, the dining hall, at 6 o'clock for Angelus and Supper. If you just joined us, there is a schedule in the dining hall of where the bedding is of each and every person. Uh, Father Jenkins informs me that there was a little confusion yesterday. I apologize to you if I did something wrong over there. apologize, and I hope you're all taken care of. I hope everything's working. We're in your respective places. Please let us know if you need anything. Thank you for being here. It means an awful lot to us. We'll say a prayer, please.